Our scripture reading today is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and it's beginning in verse 1. And we're going to talk about gratitude, and we're going to talk about blessings over the next couple of months. Let me remind you that if uh, you are new or newer or have never been to our discovery class, we have the last one of the year. This afternoon, 5 o'clock, goes from 5 to 7.30. It is action-packed. It is filled with all kinds of good information. There's a dinner involved. There's child care. We'd love for you to be a part of that. We have prepared for you to do so. So let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and I'll begin reading with verse 1. In my way of thinking, this is one of the classic passages of Scripture about gratitude and being grateful and learning to live in gratitude. It is the, the third youngest, oldest passage in the New Testament, the third one that was written. I'm counting James as first and Galatians as second and First Thessalonians, about A.D. 50. Uh, Paul had been a believer only, think of it, only for 15 years, and God is filling him with his word, and he is giving it to us. Listen to the word of the Lord. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, who are loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The the area of Greece had two Roman provinces, Macedonia in the north, and Achaia in the south. So you were a model to all the believers. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. This week I ran across an article I wrote about 10 years ago. I'd completely forgotten the article And I certainly, thankfully, had forgotten the incident that caused the article to be written. 
Somewhere about that time ago, there was a family here. I can't tell you which one. Uh, They may be here today, may not be here today. I have no idea. But there was a family who asked me to pray for them and asked me to counsel with them. And I did and had not thought much about it afterwards. But then I received an email, and the email said, we want you to know we are doing so well. Things are going good. God is good. Well, you get an email like that, and you just naturally want to respond to it. And so I did. And I wrote to them back about, I'm so glad to hear from you, so glad things are going well, so thankful to hear how God has blessed you, and I agree that God is good. So I decided it needed a verse of Scripture. The problem was I gave them the reference, but it was the wrong reference. I wanted to say the last words of Ephesians 4. I know that now. I wanted to say the last words of Ephesians 4 about the God who loves us immensely, that God loves us and shows us and blesses us exceedingly abundantly, more than we could ever ask or imagine. Praise be to to God through the church and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And I could just imagine them taking out the Scripture, hopefully saying the pastor sent us a nice note and he put a Scripture verse. Let's read the verse. Unfortunately, I had given them Ephesians 5, 18. Be not drunk with wine, (laughs) but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I am reminded that words matter. They really do matter. They matter in your life. They matter in the church. They matter in our families, in our jobs, at school. Your words matter. And do you know what else matters? Your attitude matters. It's not just what you say. Sometimes it's how you say it. Sometimes it's the body language that you use when you say it. Sometimes it's just the way it comes out, but our words matter. And what I want to do through the month of November is I want to talk about this word gratitude. And I would hope that it will be in your mind and on your heart throughout the month, not just on Thanksgiving Day, but as a as a encouragement for all of the days to come of how we are to live and how words do matter. And I want to talk with you today about how you learn to live in gratitude. Because I am absolutely convinced that it's what you learn. That none of us are born with gratitude that none of us are grown, uh, are, are born expressing gratitude. 
that none of us just on our own without any prompting, without any teaching, without any prayer in seeking God, that we can express gratitude. It's something that, that has to be learned. It's something that, has to, that we have to receive. And what I want you to do, and by the way, I, I think that it's November, and Thanksgiving does come in this month. And of course, the pastor is preaching on gratitude. And of course, we're thinking about Thanksgiving. And the easiest thing in the world is to walk in, settle in, relax, and not think about it again. Or to leave here and not think about it again. I want to ask you not to do that because gratitude and your attitude and your words matter so much. So how do we learn to live in gratitude? How do we learn to be changed? Well, the first thing, I want to give you three things to do. The first one is this, change the way you think. If you change the way you think, you change the way you act. You change the things that are around you. You probably would not be surprised to know that the word for repentance in the New Testament is exactly that expression. You change the way you think. You think differently because when you start thinking differently, you start acting differently and you start expressing things differently because you are thinking differently. Then instead of being happy that you told somebody off or had a surly attitude or did something that, that made you feel good because you think differently, because you've come into the presence of God, because you've spent time with him, because you've opened yourself unto God, all of a sudden you see what you've done for what it is. We have to change the way we think. This is what we get to do. We get to choose how we think, and we get to choose how we live. And if somewhere, somebody along the way has simply said to you, well, this is the way you are, and you can't change that, well, that is to deny the gospel. It is to deny the power of Christ on the cross. It is to deny the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Of course, you get to choose how you act and how you think. Most of us have heard the words of Proverbs. If you haven't, you need to check these out. As a person thinks in his heart, in the Bible, the word heart can refer to the emotions. It can refer to the inner being, or it can refer to the mind. As a person thinks in his heart, that's who he is. So we have to change the way we think. We have to look at things in different ways. Now, I want to give you an example, and it is a powerful example. It's the example of Paul. Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica. He's only been a Christian for 15 years. How long have you been a Christian? 
He's only been a Christian for 15 years, and yet God is speaking through him, and he is giving us good, sound, godly theology. And he is sharing that with the church at Thessalonica. Here's what's interesting. Everything that happened to Paul in Thessalonica was bad. It was really bad. Paul was on his second missionary journey. He had with him Silas and Timothy. Timothy they picked up along the way because Timothy apparently had been saved on the first missionary journey a couple of years before. And when they had gone through central Galatia, they learned that this was a young man of high regard and they had seen the work of God with him and they took Timothy. So Paul and Silas and Timothy walked out and started. They had a in mind to go to one place. That's Acts chapter 16, but God closed the door. And so they decided to go in the other direction and the spirit of Jesus would not let them. And so they saw that they would go in this direction. And when Paul came, to the edge of the sea. He is, it is late at night and he's looking across the Aegean and he looks over into Philippi and Thessalonica and the Spirit of God came upon him and a man of, of uh, Macedonia said unto him, come and help us. And so Paul and Silas and Timothy concluded that it was God who was calling them. And they went to Philippi and people were saved, but he was thrown in prison and beaten. The Philippian jailer was saved. Lydia and her household were saved. But they had to leave, so they go to Thessalonica. And for three weeks, this is Acts chapter 17, and three, for three weeks, Paul preached in the synagogue. But then things changed. I want you to hear the wording in Acts chapter 17. Many Jews were saved. They received the word. When Paul told them how the Messiah must be crucified and raised from the dead and that Jesus is the Messiah. And he appealed to them, Jews were saved. But listen to these words, but other Jews were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, started a riot in the city, they rushed to find Paul and Silas, but couldn't find them. So the man's house they were living in, Jason, they took out and they beat him. So these men, this is what they said. Remember, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Our translation says these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. And so those early believers rushed them out of the city. They went south toward Berea. Berea is a place where he also went to the synagogue of the Jews. And these Jews were much more noble, so Luke said, than those in Thessalonica. And they listened to the word and they looked at the word of God to see what Paul was saying. But those Jews from Thessalonica came to Berea also and chased him out of Berea. 
Now, don't you think that if somebody would come to you and say, Paul, have you ever been to Thessalonica? How do you think you might respond? Yeah, I've been to Thessalonica, and I don't ever want to go again. I mean, wouldn't that be natural? I spent the worst three weeks of my life in Thessalonica, and when I thought I got away from those people, they followed me to Berea. I would never want to go there again. Wouldn't that be a natural way of responding? But Paul didn't respond that way at all. These are the words that he wrote to the people of Thessalonica. We always thank God for all of you, and continually mention you in our prayers. And then he talks about why, they, why he thought about them and what they had done. And he gave them these three things. Here's what we pray about. This is what really matters to us. We remember before God, before our God and Father, your work produced by faith. Your labor prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope. Here are the three distinct, powerful characteristics of being a follower of Christ. Faith, hope, and love. And Paul describes them in that way. Paul, by the work of God in his life and by the continuing presence of God's Spirit, changed the way he thought. And if we're going to be people of gratitude, if we're going to be people of devotion, if we're going to be people of service, if we're going to make a difference at home, at work, at school, at church, in the world at large, then we have to change our minds as well. A second thing that we have to do to learn gratitude is to practice it. Anything you do, you got to practice. You, you got to spend time doing it. You got to learn how to do it. You got to do it over and over and over again, so that you don't have to think about it, so that you just do it. And gratitude needs to be practiced in exactly that way. We need to put it at the forefront of our lives. We need to put thanksgiving first. We need to emphasize thanksgiving. Let me tell you where I get that. I get that from Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul is writing to the church. It's verses 3 and 4, if you want to look at it, powerful words. He is writing to the church. Listen to what he says. And would you please hear this? Because sometimes it's easy not to hear. I want you to hear this. I want you to hear what God says to his church, to you and me, to the people of God. But among you, who is the you? It's the church. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality 
or any kind of impurity or greed. Now think about where you live. But this is the word of God to the church. So there must be no hint of sexual immorality or impurity or greed because these are improper for God's set-apart people. They're improper for the people that God has set apart and made holy. Nor should there be, listen to this, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place. Now, I said all of that, I've read all of that for these three words. Paul says, but rather thanksgiving. So what Paul is saying that thanksgiving should be first and it should be foremost in our lives and it should be at the heart of who we are, that, that our lives should be filled with gratitude. That's why we cannot make it a whole hum. It's Thanksgiving again. We've got to talk about gratitude because this matters to God because it's important to him and we must live for him. And Paul also indicates that if we fill our hearts, our lives, our minds with gratitude and emphasize gratitude, then we will start crowding out immorality, impurity, greed, foolish talking, coarse joking. We will crowd those things out of our lives and they will seem strange and foreign to us and not who we are and not how we should live. Thanksgiving helps us to change. It begins to crowd out the evil. But how do we get to that point? We get to that point by submitting our lives to God, by praying fervently and specifically. Here again, 1 Thessalonians, that's a very specific prayer. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We specifically remember your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, your endurance inspired by our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to be people who pray in that way. And we need to be people who, who did what Paul did, is pray for others and thank God for others and give thanks for what God has done. We need to be thinking about spending time with God and letting prayer change us instead of our prayer being for the purpose of changing God. I never think about this without thinking about my mom. Uh, my mom never said, gimme. She always said, give me, except one time. And she looked at 
us boys, and she said, your prayer shouldn't always be gimme, gimme, gimme. It should be more than that. So how much more should it be? It should be asking God to change the way we think. It should be asking God to help us to be grateful and thankful. It should be asking God to help us respond in a godly way rather than a human way when somebody pushes our buttons. We should be seeking to, to speak and act and think in a way that pleases God and that honors God in every way. We need to pray specifically and fervently. And we need to always express appreciation. Here's what I would encourage you to do. Begin this process of always expressing appreciation. And, and begin the process of giving thanks, even when you don't have to give thanks, even when it's not expected for you to give thanks. And, and here's what I would say. Try to find someone that you normally wouldn't thank for something and give thanks and begin that process and start letting God work in your life. And most of the time, that's when we... With the people we need to thank are the people who are doing the lowest jobs in life or the people who are normally not appreciated for what they do. Now, in your mind right now, you probably, you, you've got some of that going on right now. Who, who should that be in my life? I just want to encourage you to do that so that you practice gratitude. And so that you and I get away from this entitled feeling that somehow we are owed something and somebody ought to give it to us. When I think about those places where people are not very appreciated, I always think about the people at the drive through at the fast food place. And I think about the clerks who check you out at the grocery store. I cannot imagine anything more boring than scanning groceries all day long and putting up, <laughs> putting up with me sometimes when I go through the line. I can't think of anything worse than that kind of thing. And those are the kinds of things we need, the way we need to think. And when we do that, what are we doing? We are blessing someone. We are acknowledging someone. We are thinking about people who, who care for us and we should care for them. Express appreciation. I, I've become in the habit uh, in wedding ceremonies to tell the young couple, when you were young, I don't know if the kid, parents do this anymore. They did it for me. When we were young, you were young, your parents gave you magic words. And I remind them, they're still magic. And if they haven't heard the magic words, they're hearing it now, please and thank you. Express appreciation. Those are magic 
words. Ask God to help you want what he wants. Because the problem we have is our want to. Ask God to help you to want what he wants. And ask God to drive out those things that keep you away from God and what God wants you to have. The third thing that we, that we do to prepare for this is we establish life-giving habits because that's what we want to have. We want to have a please and thank you to be a habit. We want to thank, we want to think through appreciation to be a habit, to be what we always do so that we care for people and love other people and appreciate them. We need to establish life giving habits. How do we get those? Well, you, you ask God to change your mind. You pray fervently and specifically. You tell God that you want what he wants. And that helps us establish life-giving habits. But if you look at this passage of Scripture, you find that Paul gives us some things here that are are eye-opening, that are, that are life-changing in themselves. Here's what Paul said to the church at Thessalonica. We, we know about your faith and your hope and your love. And we know that your, the word about you has gone out through all of Greece, through all of Macedonia, and through all of Achaia. Macedonia would be Philippi and Berea. Achaia would be Corinth and Athens. And the word of God has gone out about you. And what did they do? Well, the people of Thessalonica imitated Paul. Now, for many of us, this is something we're not sure we want to think about. But what Paul did when he went into a church, we don't have any specific words that tell us this, but from what happened, this is what I assume. Paul said, look, I know you don't want to know what it's like to live a new life. I know you don't know what it is like to follow the Lord Jesus. I know you don't understand what it means. I know you don't know the theology. I know you don't know the terminology. I know you don't know how to act. So here's what I'm going to tell you to do. Act like. I act. Imitate me. And you and I need to imitate godliness. When we see godly actions performed by other people, we need to imitate that. That's what Paul said to, to the church. He said, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you welcome the message in the midst of severe suffering. It goes back to what had happened at Thessalonica. And you did it with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. So you became a model. So we need to imitate godliness and we need to follow positive examples. And the people of Thessalonica became positive examples. How did they do it? Well, in the midst of suffering, they lived lives of joy. 
That's what God wants us to do. When we start doing those things, then we start establishing life-giving habits that make all the difference in the world. Listen to what Paul said. Paul said, therefore, here's what you did. You became a model. The Lord's message rang out from you. Wouldn't that be a great thing? I went to church today and the message of God rang out. I went to church today and I saw in the lives of other believers the power of the gospel and it rang out. The message, the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in in Achaia and Macedonia, but your faith has become known everywhere. So we don't need to say anything about it because they tell us how you turn to God from dead idols. If you're going to have life-changing habits, you have to turn from your idols. And what are your idols? What do you put above God? Sometimes it's our attitude. I I just wasn't born that way. I'm just different. We make it an idol. Sometimes it's our financial resources. We make them an idol. We put them above God, the greed. Sometimes it's a vile practice or habit, and we, we adore it, and we hang on to it, and we feed it, and we follow it more and more. What are your idols? They turn from idols and they turn to the living God. There's the the expression for repentance again. In the New Testament, repentance means to change the mind. In the Old Testament, repentance means to turn from your idols and turn to God. That's what God wants us to do. That's what changes our lives. I want to ask you to turn from your idols that are keeping you having a bad attitude and and hurtful words and a rebellious spirit. And I want to ask you to turn to the living God and give your life and your devotion to Him. That's how you learn to be grateful. You submit it to God. You surrender yourself unto Him, and you let Him be in control of your life. So I want to ask everybody here to do that. I can't Imagine any one of us who does not need to say to God, God, I want to be more like you. I want to live in the way you want me to live. I want to think the way you think. I want my life to reflect your glory. I cannot imagine any of us who do not need to pray that prayer. Paul says that the word of the Lord came to you in in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. What is deep conviction? It is the recognition that I need God and that my life needs to change. I want to ask you in deep conviction 
to look unto God and to follow the things of God and to obey Him in which you surrender yourself to the Lord. I can't imagine any person who calls on the name of Christ who can't see that deep conviction of I need to change. I want to ask you to do that. But I want to ask the, those of you who don't yet know the Lord and have not surrendered to Him to make this the opportunity in your life to turn your eyes upon Jesus and to receive Him fully and completely in your life. And I want to ask you during our time of invitation to walk to the front, talk to one of the counselors standing here to receive that help that comes from the Lord. Let's pray together, please. God, thank you for your word and thank you for the power of it. God, we pray that, that, the, that in you, in this time, that the word of God would come to us in power and with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. God, speak to our hearts and lead us closer to you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together. It is time for you to come and make those decisions for the Lord.